Welcome back, listeners, to our podcast, Well Yes, our way of saying hell yes to our wellness in all areas of our life. Today, I have a guest named Susan McCullough, and we are so happy to have you here. Hi, Susan. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for having me today. We are uh, friends through work, and Susan is, has a, an amazing story of overcoming some really difficult times, and this is an opportunity for our listeners to see you can go through some hard things, as some of our past um, stories that we've shared from other overcomers. Um, but Susan is a 25-year-old dynamo. She is a therapist um, in training, almost finishing up that piece. And she has a story of, of uh, coming, overcoming some physical uh, trauma that happened to her body. So tell us a little bit about what happened to you and how old you were when this happened. So I was 15 years old and I was a passenger in the backseat of a car and I was coming home that night with two other passengers and it happened in February in 2014. So due to the weather conditions at that time, we slid on black ice and hit a stone wall. Did you see it coming? Did you know you were going to wreck? No, I, I have no recollection of even moments before that accident the only thing that i do remember is walking outside of my friend's house and i saw the guy who i did at the time he slid on ice going down the driveway so, so that was way before you so that was way before yes and then i remember when we were driving home i knew that i was asleep so like subconsciously i kept saying why am i asleep like i should be awake right now like i should be in the car but i kept screaming internally but i could not open my eyes and i just didn't understand why Okay, so then you hit a stone... A stone wall, a stone yes. Wall. So what happened after that? And I do believe that a car also slid on the same hill that we were going down and also rear-ended us. So, so you already sandwiched, you got the stone wall, mm -hmm. you got your car, and then the car that squished you in there. Yes, so I was on the side of impact when we hit that stone wall, and we were a couple inches away from going over into the river. Okay, so what kind of injuries did you sustain in this traumatic car wreck? So I had a depressed skull fracture, and for those who don't know what that means, that means that when your skull breaks and indents into your brain, and I had holes perforated all around my skull. So it was like a traumatic brain trauma. Yes, I had a traumatic brain injury. Um, I fractured every single bone in my face, and unfortunately I lost my right cheekbone and my right eye socket in the accident, and my sinus plate in my forehead was completely shattered too. Which I just have to pause and say that I'm looking at this incredibly beautiful young woman, 25-year-old woman, and this happened when you were 14? 15. 15, yes. Um, and nobody would know, looking at you, that you had any of this trauma. Right. So you were taken to the hospital with this terrible injuries to mm -hmm. your face. Did you have any other injuries in your body? No. So your face took the brunt of face and brain took yes. the brunt of it. Mm -hmm. Wow. So what happened from there? Um, what, you, what is your first recollection after the after the wreck? The thing that I remember is waking up in a hospital debt or I'm sorry, hospital bed with doctors and police officers, and my parents were there. And so that I, was right after the accident. Well, that's the what I remember. Okay. But from what my dad said is that when 
And they arrived to the hospital. They were sitting with me in the ER and I just kept throwing up and throwing up and kept asking where I was at. And my dad kept telling me and then I would throw up some more and then ask him again. And that's how my dad's like, he knew that my head injury was serious because I just couldn't retain what he was saying to me. And so, and they, and they just had you in the emergency room. They hadn't, did you go into surgery then? So they, um, they eventually took me back for a CAT scan and MRI and they were getting ready to call their brain surgeon and their facial surgeon to see if they, we needed immediate surgery. But luckily I was stable enough to go throughout the night so that I had surgery the following morning. And what kind of surgery did that, did they take the bone chips out of the brain? Mm-hmm. They had to completely reconstruct my dura mater of my skull. Um, and the facial injuries that couldn't be replaced, they, or I'm sorry, that couldn't be repaired, they had to replace it. So So you said your, is it your, what's replaced your cheekbone? So my right, I don't have a right cheekbone. It's just a titanium plate. And then my right eye socket collapsed. So I have a titanium rod holding my right eye in place. So that's why I see double vision 100% of the time. And I have screws all throughout my jaw. And then my sinus plate in my forehead collapsed too. So I have a titanium plate. And then I have screws all throughout my skull too. This is a weird semantics because I know you like to travel. Do you set the, I mean, do you have to carry something that says I've got (laughs) titanium plates in my body? So I do love to travel. I actually never got one from a doctor, but I do set off the metal detectors. Wow. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I knew your story, but I really didn't know all the depth of of the destruction to your face Mm -hmm. and again looking at you there's there is nothing you could tell right the surgeons did a great job they said they had because my left cheekbone was fine and my left eye socket so they said that they had to measure my left side to my right side to To make sure proportional yes that was proportional wow Mm-hmm. Okay, so then what was that healing process like? So you, how long were you in the hospital? Oh, I will add one more thing and then I will answer your question. I forgot that my nose bone was so badly broken that it went upward into my skull. And they said that if it would have went three more centimeters, it would have killed me. So they said it was actually an absolute miracle that I survived that. So you're another miracle. We know mm-hmm. a lot of miracles that we've met. Yeah. So your own bone of mm-hmm. your nose could have killed you. Yes. Because of that impact if mm-hmm. it would have gone. Oh so they gosh. had to reconstruct it, pull down the bone. So Wow. All right. Yep. So then what was the next steps the, for healing? So I was in the hospital for about a week, but I wasn't even being like fed normally through my mouth at the time. I was being fed through an IV. Was your mouth wired shut? No, but because of the surgery I couldn't like I was in so much pain. My face was so swollen that I could not even open my mouth to eat. So I was being fed through an IV and they sent me home after a week and my parents were concerned just because I wasn't being fed properly. I was being fed through an IV and they had sent me home because there was a lot of sickness going around on my floor in the hospital that I was at. So they were scared because of all my open wounds. They didn't want me to get any kind of infection. So they thought you were safer at home. Mm-hmm. Yes. This is another side note, but how did your parents, like, have you talked to them about, like, yes. was your mom, I mean, if you were my kid, I'd be freaking out like how did you cope with that how did they cope with that well I remember my parents were telling me that the night of my accident I was always one of those kids I responded to my mom immediately because I wanted to gain her trust so I would always be on the ball with telling her where I was at where I was going who I was with and when I was coming home I just stopped texting my mom out of the blue and my mom still like in her gut like she know she knew that something was severely wrong and like 10 minutes later they received a call from a, a private number 
And my mom looked at my dad and she said, you need to get that phone. So that's when Fairland Police, I know. And that's when Fairland Police Department called my dad and they said that I was involved in a bad car accident and my dad tried. The call that a parent could get. Mm -hmm. And my dad tried assessing the situation to see like if I was hurt or not. And he said, well, we can't disclose that information over the phone. But the only thing that we can tell you is that her nose is indented in her face. So my parents said like that drive to Akron Children's was like the most horrifying ride of their entire life. Not knowing what they're going into. Right. And again, when the police say things like, well, we're not going to, we can't disclose that. You go to the worst case scenario, I'm Mm -hmm. sure. You know? Yes. At least they knew you were alive and that that's what they were going to. Absolutely. So you spent a week in the hospital, then they sent you home. Yes. How did the recovery go? What was that like? It was excruciating. It was unbearable, to be honest. The pain was... Do you remember it? Can you remember the pain? Yes. Like, I don't really remember being in the hospital all that much, but the only thing that I remember is waking up after my surgery, and it felt like dump trucks, bulldozers were just running over my face. And I just remember that, I think, so well, because the pain was excruciating. Did they instantly do the titanium things? Was that done mm-hmm. all at the very beginning? So it's not yep. like you went back and had no. surgery later. They had to get it done before mm-hmm. you started healing. Yes. Okay. Did they give you a lot of pain medicine? Was that a worry? They did. So I was on a 20-minute morphine pump. So my parents rotated staying with me in the hospital, but they just never slept because they had to set alarms on their phone for every 20 minutes to pump the morphine and make sure I was getting that. But I'm sure it helped me in that moment, but at the time, it it felt like it wasn't doing anything. Wow. If it was that excruciating with the morphine, I can't imagine. Yes. So coming home was hard. I was always in a lot of pain. Did they just drive you home or was there an ambulance? My parents drove me home. I can't believe a week after all of that happened, Mm -hmm. you're trucking along, going home in the car. My mom said that was the most nerve-wracking drive of her entire life. It makes me stressed just hearing about it. Yeah. Especially with thinking about, you know, your children. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you got home and they took care of you. Mom, dad, did you have a home health nurse come come to the home? No. You were... Kind of on your own, mm-hmm. huh? They, unfortunately, it was very, like, misguided after my accident. They said I had three surgeries follow up after my accident. And they said, after these surgeries, you're going to be good. And you're just going to have to, like, stay at home and heal, let your injuries and your facial injuries heal. And I'm like, okay. But little did I know there was a lot of long-term complications with that. And so did you... How long of a recovery was it till you felt like, I mean, so you had multiple surgeries. Mm-hmm. Were, you, were you going along and then they realized something was wrong or how, what? Um, I want to say it was probably about six months after my accident. I started getting severely bad migraines to the point where I was throwing up in the mornings. I couldn't get out of bed. And at the time, I don't think my parents realized how serious my migraines were. And they're like, well, you still need to go to school. And I'm like, I don't think I can. But I still got up and went. And eventually my parents just kept taking me to the ER over and over again. And finally the nurse practitioner said, well, you need to get nerve block injections because your migraines are this severe. And I said, okay. But over time, the nerve block injections started not working for me very well. So medically I've tried everything in the book to help with my chronic pain and my chronic migraines too as well. So what is the course of treatment right now because here you are 25 Mm -hmm. years old all these years later yes and I I mean again I know you so I know that there's certain things Mm -hmm. you do at certain every other month or whatever what is the course of treatment now that that you're getting done so every three months months I get Botox injections done and they do help significantly with my migraines and my nerve damage 
but after the second month, I can feel them starting to wear off, and my body starts giving out on me horribly, and some days I can't get out of bed. And then I'm on a muscle relaxer and multiple migraine medications too as well. Do they ever say any that this could be something that could get better, or is this going to be your your lot in life, so they say? I think that it will be a forever thing. Unfortunately, I have over 16 diagnoses of just brain like brain injury stuff and nerve damage diagnoses too. So I think the pain is something that will be long term, unfortunately. Okay, so I just this is interesting for our listeners to hear. This was a very traumatic experience. You're still having you know, long-term effects, lifelong Mm -hmm. effects, but that doesn't even count the other side of what happened to you. And this is important too. This is something I really want our listeners to hear. Um, once you got back, when did you go back to school? How long after that? Oh gosh. Um, it wasn't probably till the end of the year. Uh, then the accident happened in February. I went back in April or May, but when I went back to school, I was only going half days because my TBI was still very serious at the time. Was your face healed at that point where you looked like Um, yourself? A little bit, but I I had to wear an eye patch to school because the doctors had said, because my double vision was so severe at the time, that my brain could get confused with seeing double, that it could turn my right eye vision off completely. So I did have to wear an eye patch to school. So is that something that they determined you didn't need anymore because you said you have permanent double vision. Yeah, they decided I think after a year or so that I didn't need the eye patch anymore. And my brain surgeon said, with time, your double vision will eventually heal. But, but yet it still has not. Right. Yeah. And again, I think they don't know, like the brain is such a mysterious organ that they don't know all the things. Yes. Okay. So again, I want to get back to this. You, get, you went back to school. Mm-hmm. What happened? with your peer group, your friends. This is this is mm-hmm. some continuing trauma that had nothing to do with your accident. So my friends during the time, they were very supportive. They were great, they visited me in the hospital, they would visit me at home. So they knew you were in the hospital, they knew you had yes. all these things. Right, but then there was one girl in particular in my friend group who never made an effort to reach out to me and never came over, never visited me in the hospital. And I just didn't think much about it at the time just because my head injury was so serious. You were surviving. Yes. Didn't have time to right. worry about what right. friends are doing what. And to be honest, I couldn't even keep track of everyone who visited me because I just, I don't really remember it all that well. But over time, I would realize, I'm like, you know, like she never reached out to me, never made an effort to visit me. When I came to school, like, it was like I didn't even exist. It was so strange to me, but I just didn't know why. And over time, I found out that she was spreading some really horrible rumors about me and my accident at the school and just making people aware that I was faking all my injuries and people had no right to visit me in the hospital. So that was really hard. So did the people that visited you in the hospital, though, have your back and say, oh, no, we saw her. She had major reconstructive surgery because of her injuries. She had brain trauma. Did they have your back? I would like to hope so, but I don't think so. Because over time, when I eventually confronted my friend about that, all my friends ended up taking her side. So I started losing everyone one by one. So you have this accident that physically debilitated you. Mm -hmm. You had to have reconstructive surgery. And then you finally get back to school thinking, I'm going to get some normalcy. And your friends pulled away Mm -hmm. and started rumors and and being negative. So you were isolated. Yes. So this was a continuing trauma. Mm -hmm. So how did you handle that? 
I was one of those people that I was friends with a lot of people at school. I mean, they weren't like people that I would necessarily hang out with outside of school, but they were good school friends. So I realized that if these friends didn't want to sit by my side during this hardship that I went through, that I'm going to meet new friends and I'm going to do my best to try at least finding people to sit with at lunch or get through my school day doing whatever I have to do. So that way I wouldn't let my accident defeat me or the people who hurt me beat me. It's so crazy. And I hope our listeners are hearing this. This young woman is tenacious. You know, I say that about my husband, you know, he's so tenacious, but that helped him survive what he went through. I feel like that's part of your character trait and mm-hmm. positive. You're, te- you're, you're stubborn, you're strong-willed, you're tenacious, you're going to not let all these things defeat you. It's true. So did you, because you were young when that happened, mm-hmm. 16, 15, whatever, how, how did the rest of the high school year go, years go until you graduated? Honestly, it was pretty sucky, I'm not gonna lie. Um, because with like all my medical concerns I had going on at the time, I was in like TBI clinics for about two to three years. Um, I had Just a missed... so our, our, our listeners know, traumatic brain injury yes. clinics, yeah. So I did that, and then I had to miss a lot of school in general just because about like two to three times a week I had to go to Akron Children's Hospital for more follow-up appointments too. And then I would go back to school, and then it just really stunk that knowing I just didn't have support at school so what about the people that were in the car with you that you were in the wreck with Mm -hmm. were they I mean they know what you went through did they pull away as well so the guy who was driving was the older brother of my ex-boyfriend who I was dating in high school his family was great and they were also supportive but unfortunately about a year later after my accident him and I ended up breaking up and my old friend group kind of took him in enveloped him and left you again out in the cold yes it's so interesting so again you're a therapist you know some of the the whys why do we go into therapy and and why did these people pull away from you have you ever did you ever put a reason to it in your own mind like a formulate some sort of why did they do this to you yes mm-hmm. so i went to a catholic high school mm-hmm. and Once the school was aware of my accident on the PA system, they would make an announcement every day just to continue praying for me, Mm -hmm. keep me in their thoughts and prayers. And my speculation is the one girl in my friend group, I don't know if she saw that as a form of like jealousy Mm -hmm. because I was getting... Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) what I was going with. Right. Because I got all the attention. You didn't want that attention. You would have preferred not to get that kind of attention. Absolutely not. So that's what I'm thinking. It's a competition. Mm Mm-hmm. Because for her to start like rumors around the school saying that I was attention seeking and that I, di- I was faking my injuries, I knew that there had to be something there. So that was, it was hard. And I think I asked you this before, but you know, have you made peace with any of these people now that you're all older adults recognizing that sometimes when we were in high school, we're impulsive, our prefrontal cortex is not developed, we say and do things that are maybe not, well, that's not who we are. Mm-hmm. We're not the same people we were at 16 or 20 or whatever. So have you made peace or talked to or worked through any of this with some of the people that were like this to you? So there's about six girls in my friend group, three of them have came back to me. One of them apologized to me, and the two of them have not apologized to me, but they've actually came to me for mental health support. Hmm. Interesting, huh? But I, the way that I explain it to them is that I just don't have the heart to turn them away. Despite all the things that they've done to me and how bad they've hurt me in the past, I just it's just not in me to do that to them. It's not tit for tat. You're, right. the, bigger, you're the bigger person. Right. 
And I also realized, too, that I have to forgive these people because if I don't, then I am going to be a prisoner in my own mind forever, and I, I, I can't I love do that. that. I love that mentality, though, because forgiveness isn't for them. Mm -hmm. Forgiveness is for you to let it go and to move exactly. forward. Like we said, to move mm -hmm. forward is letting go of that power and hurt that they have over you. Absolutely. So that kind of rolls all the way around. This was a long process still going on. You know, your life as you know it stopped. Yes. And you've pivoted and readjusted and you've made mm -hmm. the most of it for you. Becoming a therapist. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't even count going to college and having traumatic brain injury, long-term effects and right. memory issues. Um, just so our listeners know, Susan is a very intelligent young woman, um, very, very good grades, um, strives for, I might say, perfection. <laughs> um, and I think that's an, a way of showing to the world you're gonna, you know, you're gonna over, you're gonna do this no matter what you've had right. to overcome. Mm -hmm. But tell me, um, and I'm sure you've had to think about this in your coursework. Why did you become a therapist? What was the motivation to say I'm gonna go help others? Mm -hmm. I've always had that passion for wanting to help others, but I think specifically after my accident that was horrible and I just did not want anyone or I do not want anyone to feel the way that I did because I felt so alone and there was no words to describe how I felt after going through something so horrible and then losing everybody mm -hmm. so I wanted to go into this field and make a difference the, the ultimate empathy mm -hmm. you've been there it's not just mm -hmm. envision yourself walking in somebody else's shoes you've yeah. been in being alone being hurt physically being hurt emotionally mm -hmm. and you wanting to support other people Absolutely. And so where are you at in your, in your career journey? So right now I am a counseling intern. I am in my second to last semester. So next semester I should be done in August and graduating with my master's degree in clinical mental health counseling. And so then um, you're working already as a, as a mental health therapist yes. in the community, community-based, mm -hmm. school-based, community-based. Yes. Um, what do you find the most rewarding about what you're doing as a therapist? I think just being able to make an impact. Sometimes clients feel so alone or feel like they just don't have people to talk to. And it's great knowing that they feel happy when they're able to see me. Because so many clients have told me, I'm so excited to see you today, or I was really looking forward to this visit. You're so, being that person that you didn't have. Did you do mm -hmm. counseling when you were younger and you experienced all of that? I actually have not. That's no. interesting. Yeah, we've talked about this mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, is it because your family didn't think of that or you said you didn't need it or what? So my parents really tried pushing counseling on me. They thought it would be very good to talk to someone, but at the time, to be honest, I just didn't think that I needed it. Is there any thoughts about looking back on that? Um, I guess I would have loved to do that, but as you were alone, you said you didn't mm -hmm. have anybody and you want to be somebody's right. person. So, right maybe you could have used the person. And I'm sure during that time, it would have been great for me to talk to someone. I don't think the accident nearly affected me as much as losing all my friends did. That's a big statement, because you have permanent, long-term, traumatic brain injury, right. ramifications, mm -hmm. and that wasn't nearly as hard on you as losing all your friends. Right. Wow. Yeah. And, and what about um, support groups? So, I don't mean support groups, but people who have supported you. Where did you find that? as you've grown through this and now? To be honest, I didn't. Because it was so hard trying to find people with similar experiences or relatability to me. So 
I didn't talk about it all that much growing up just because no one could understand what I was going through. They could provide empathy, but they couldn't understand truly. So what, where are you at now with, um, you are engaged? <laughs> yes. Do you discuss some of this past trauma with, you know, with your fiance? <laughs> Do you share with your parents? Do you share with friends that you have now? Yes, they, my friends, my family, my fiance. You have a sister? Yes, I have a sister. sister, one sister. Yes, they are all very supportive. Mm -hmm. So I know that if there's ever a time that I do need to talk about it, they are open ears or they have open ears to do so. And I, I want to just say this, um, not to throw you under the bus or anything, but I can relate to this. When I talk to Susan about downtime or self care, uh, she has a hard time with that and wants to keep busy. And I, I wonder, because I've done this myself, do you keep busy in order to avoid thinking your things and feeling your feels? Or, you know, I'm putting you on the spot. What do <laughs> That's you think? Because okay. um, sometimes when John was sick, I would just stay busy, so I didn't have yeah. to Yeah. So that's actually a great question and a great point. I think I keep myself busy to distract myself from other traumas that I've been through in my life. Because as we realize being in this field that once one trauma happens it doesn't mean that something bad isn't going to happen again Life which is coming exactly is there some other trauma that you want to share i definitely can yeah um when i was in college i was in a very abusive relationship mentally physically verbally every every way imaginable what happened to you in the wreck was a precursor that set you up to be a victim of this relationship no no it was just just one of those first boyfriends or boyfriend that was a negative yes. person. He always creeped on me when I was in high school. So I knew to avoid this guy when I went to college because he knew that we were going to the same college. So that's why he would always message me. So he wasn't a boyfriend? Not at this point. But then I got to college and... He worked on you? Yes. He manipulated you? Yes. Yeah. And me being the kind of person that I was, I always tried giving him the benefit of the doubt. And, and so maybe because you went through all the things that you went through and he was already creeping on you, he thought maybe um, he would, you would be easily mm -hmm. manipulated. You know, certain types go for certain types. Right. And I think with that past relationship, that brought, unfortunately, a lot of anxiety and concern into my current relationship. But even though there's no anxiety or concern with my current partner, I think internally, there's still a lot of gray area there. So I have to keep myself busy to try not thinking about horrible things. Mm -hmm. Which I would say, as one therapist to another, there might be some PTSD that we need to uh, <laughs> work through a little bit. Right. Because there is a little bit of avoidance. How did you extricate yourself from this horrible situation with this abusive boyfriend in college? So I studied abroad my junior year of college, and that was great because I think that's kind of what I needed to get away from him. But unfortunately, he would still harass me when I was overseas and send me some pretty horrible things to try to make me feel bad and try to ruin my trip. Like suicidal manipulation? Mm -hmm. And would send me pictures of him cunning himself. And he said, when I come back from Italy, I'll be the reason why he's dead. So he would just do these things to try to hurt me and make me upset. And he would constantly fight with me when I was away on my trip. So when I got back, I think I just had such a wake-up call that I just don't want this anymore. Plus, he also put me in the hospital, not physically, but mentally. I started having really bad physical symptoms because the emotional was just getting so much for me. It's important for our listeners to hear, too, that the, the, the traumas that we can experience you know, emotionally can create somatic mm -hmm. issues yes. if we don't address them. My nurse 
at the university I went to, she said, I can't treat you because you're having a heart attack. And I'm like, well, I'm kind of young. Like, that sounds kind of extreme. But yeah, I'll go to the hospital. So I had my friend take me. And they said that all my symptoms that I had were similar to a heart attack, but there's actually a name for it. I just can't remember what it's called. But Is it's... it a form of panic attack kind of thing? No, it's due to heartbreak. Oh my gosh, literally broken heart. Literally. But it's, their symptoms are very similar mm. to a heart attack. And the doctor had asked me, are you in an abusive relationship? And I said no. And I kept denying it and denying it, but I think they knew. But they're like, normally people don't come in with these kinds of symptoms unless if they're in a really bad relationship well you certainly have empathy for a lot of different areas for mm-hmm. people that have gone through some different difficult times so how did you find did you finally I mean this I as a therapist I say this to clients mm-hmm. you don't want to stay with someone because they're threatening suicide that's the biggest manipulation you could ever have right if they choose to end their life you don't want them to but if they choose to do that that has nothing whatsoever to do with you right so how did you finally did you just finally say I'm done I don't care yes like I said, after I studied abroad, I think that was just like a spiritual awakening for me that I did not want this kind of relationship anymore. Like it put me in the hospital. It was really, really bad on my mental health. And I just wasn't, I didn't feel safe anymore. I didn't feel safe walking on campus. And he took a lot from me and I hated the person that I became. So I think I was like, you know what, enough's enough and I'm done with this relationship. And I think leaving him was the hardest part because he still stalked me. He still harassed me on campus. So you still, I mean, even though you left him, did you feel safer? No. So my university had to put me on a type of safety plan that I had multiple Title IX on him, but that still wasn't enough. So I thought about transferring out of my school, but unfortunately at that point I was already a junior, about to go into my senior year of college, and I'm like, well, I'm like, I just need to stay and finish out my college career. So how did it finally fix well, I started talking to somebody new before I started dating my fiance, and then my ex-boyfriend started stalking him, even though he didn't go to the university. He went to the University of Akron. So we had to keep getting the police involved. And then eventually, when he saw me dating my fiance, that's when he kind of started to slowly back away. But even to this day, I still get messages from unknown Instagram accounts or unknown phone numbers, too. So does that put you in the fight or flight state or are you adjusted to, I mean, do you feel like you, you're in a good place with all that? I feel like I'm at a good place. I would hope that after all these years, he would move on, but... Is he still in the area? Not to my knowledge. I think he moved back to his hometown, which is actually right by my parents' hometown. Okay. Well, <clears throat> there's a lot there to unpack and I'm sure we've only just begun, <laughs> right? So what do you do for self-care? This is always a good question that I ask our overcomers and our guests. What do you do for you? I mean, honestly, my type of self-care is just doing nothing. Just laying in bed, watching my favorite show. And I guess adding, you know, putting on um, like a candle or eating my favorite snack. So just literally giving yourself Mm -hmm. that downtime. Absolutely. Even though it's hard for you to do. Right. It is hard for me to do. (laughs) I know. We've talked about this multiple times, you know taking some time for you, taking some time off. Mm-hmm. Um, Susan is quite the uh, hard worker, takes on everything, um, which I guess does keep you busy. Yes, it does. So what are your like uh, short-term goals and long-term goals? Um, well, short-term, ideally I would like to graduate 
And a long-term goal is continue being in this field and continue trying to make an impact. Because like I said, I think my main goal is I just don't want people to feel alone. I want them to feel like they have support and someone that they can go to at the end of the day. So um, as a last thing, what, what words of advice would you give someone who is feeling alone or in an abusive relationship? I mean, there's layers of that. And really the second thing that happened was kind of similar to some of the first thing that happened, mm-hmm. you know. There were some similarities there. It was like a pattern and breaking that pattern. Mm-hmm. But what advice would you give someone? Well, at least situational-wise for my car accident, something that my dad told me that really sticked out to me because one day I was just really upset about my accident and the things I had gone through. My dad looked at me and he said, Susan, we can't help the circumstances that happened to us, but we can help how we respond to the situation. Mm-hmm. So for me, I've taken that advice with me everywhere I go. Do you use that with clients? Mm-hmm. I do actually all the time mm-hmm. and as far as the abusive relationship goes it, I think it's so important to recognize those red flags that you notice in the relationship yep. because I will say my ex-boyfriend when him and I first started dating he told me that he punched two girls in the face in high school and had to go to court and I looked at my roommate and I asked her I was like well do you think that's a red flag and she said no he's probably changed mm-hmm. he probably matured and I said okay mm-hmm. yeah done me okay so and there's just a lot of red flags with him that were very off-putting but because I loved him I just I didn't have the heart to leave him so please don't ever ignore those red flags yeah and even truly if we wind back even further if he was stalking you in high school and you knew he was kind of strangely Mm -hmm. addicted to you you know sometimes we need those strokes or it feels good to have someone that obsessed with us but then that becomes unhealthy because and dangerous and dangerous right yeah there we have to have multiple Mm -hmm. areas in our lives and facets in our lives and people in our lives and it can't just be one so yeah there's there's some podcasts that we've done in the past about red flags and it's good for our listeners to maybe review those and and revisit Mm -hmm. having heard what you said yeah we can't go in and change people no no um we're not going to love them if only you know if only i do this they'll be good or they'll be healthy so i think those are wise wise words Mm -hmm. and the red flags that we see or think about before we get into a relationship only get what worse thousands of times worse when we're involved so those little things become ginormous things Mm -hmm. where it's even our our own physical safety at life and death so wow wow thank you so much for sharing your story yeah of course i mean this is something i hope our listeners can identify with if they've got any of these kind of things that feelings of isolation you know plugging into something getting getting a therapist getting a life coach getting something put into their lives mm-hmm. joining some kind of group mm-hmm. and looking for the red flags in relationships um, so as of today just how's your how are your headaches is it is it once a day once a month I get them chronically, so I would say there's never a day that I'm completely headache-free. But I think living with them for so long, you just... You've managed them. In a exactly. Sense. And like I said, after like the second month, I can feel my shots wearing off, and that's when it gets really bad. I'll start getting dizzy in the mornings. I'll throw up. Um, I'm very sensitive to light. Sometimes I lose my vision when I'm driving. So the side effects get a lot worse. And again, this is just... this. When you look at the wellness wheel, you know, physical, emotional, spiritual, recreational, social, all those facets of the wellness wheel, mm-hmm. one or two of those things are out of sync and the whole thing is, is a hot right. mess. So recognizing where those areas are mm-hmm. in need. So again, I think our listeners will really 
truly fits with the well yes theme, right? Saying yes, yes. to ourselves mm -hmm. and our wellness in all areas. So, Yeah. And I will say too, that when that happens in the mornings, I have to get up for work. I don't know, this might go against self-care, but I still get up and go to work because I, just one of those like mindset things. That That's I will, the tenaciousness. Yes. I will not let that car accident ruin me I will not let it break me or let it win and I think that's that moving forward piece mm -hmm. you're not going to let that stop you there right. could have been a lot of things you could have rolled up in a hole and not done anything but you pushed right. yourself but that's the tenacity of mm -hmm. your personality yeah. thank you so much for sharing you're welcome <laughs> and I hope our listeners um really enjoyed that and as always stay well <laughs>